Life Audio. Hello, welcome to the Faith Over Fear podcast, where we discuss powerful truths to counter anxiety and fear, big and small. At Holy Love Ministries, we are passionate about helping God's children discover, embrace, and experience soul-deep emotional and spiritual freedom, and we want to inspire you to share that freedom with others. We would love to connect with you online. Just visit our show notes to learn about one of our upcoming events, how to book one of our speakers for your next event, or simply how to connect with us. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Before I dive into today's content, I want to invite you to join my book launch team to help me increase awareness for my next release, Hitting the Shelves, in February. Team members receive fun perks such as a free signed copy. Contact me through my website, Jennifer Slattery Lives Out Loud, to learn more. This is always one of my favorite episodes, when we look back over our most downloaded content from the previous year and pull what I like to refer to as power clips, sections we found particularly helpful or thought-provoking. And I love reviewing these because I have a tendency to forget, to listen to or read something, to sense God speaking to me through it, but then fail to implement that particular truth or to make the new behavior or thought pattern habit. Which is a perfect seg to our first clip taken from a conversation I had with Bible teacher Kelly Minter. In this section in particular, she's addressing the power of God to break generational dysfunction and our responsibility in that. Take a listen. In the opening of Finding God Faithful, you shared a story from one of your college friends who was talking about her dysfunctional family. And so she said, and I'm going to quote, the buck stops here, meaning for those who haven't read, obviously, the context that the pattern of dysfunction stopped with her. So I would really love for you to share what you most wanted to convey from that story. Yes. Well, so it's been a few years since I've written Finding God Faithful. And I remember that story and I remember the whole event, how it fits into Joseph's story. I I'm going to have to pull from the top of my head. So if you've just recently been in there, I might not make the exact connection, but I'm imagining that Joseph, you know, he comes from this long line of some dysfunction and even his own father is had had been a deceiver his father, Jacob, and just a lot of infighting and jealousy between Jacob's two wives, Rachel and Leah, which, you know, when you have two wives, that 
imagine that's going to just set the foundation for some some issues, right? So we see, though, that God, he does something special in Joseph's life, and Joseph is changed. He is not like the rest of his family. And so it reminded me of, yes, this friend who had come from a long line of dysfunction, and she just said, I want the Lord to have my life. I want to move forward in a different way. I don't feel like I have to be I don't feel like I have to take on the patterns of my family of origin and, and I I want to live new. And so that's where I think I was headed with that, with that passage. Or that that is so actually encouraging, like just that decision. Okay, this is where I came from, but that is not me anymore. I am yes. yeah. new in Christ. I love that. Well, why is it so important when we look at biblical characters that we consider kind of the generational dysfunction that they came from? So like Joseph, for example. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we don't want to unduly dwell on the past. I think that I think that can be a problem, right? Well, I think our culture right now is we love to focus on what we didn't get, what we didn't have, what was so wrong, who's to blame, who's at fault, you know, what we should have been given that we weren't. And it's interesting when I go to other cultures, that is not necessarily the way that they look at pain or suffering. Wow. Uh, and it, and so that's been helpful for me. Part of this preoccupation with everything that's wrong is is Western culture. And, mm-hmm. and, and there's this push on it. That said, I think there is merit to recognizing where there has been brokenness, where where maybe we didn't get what we needed or how those patterns are flowing into our lives and how maybe we are repeating the same patterns of brokenness in our relationships. So it is important, I think, for us to look at it, but not for the sake of dwelling on it for years and years for there to be bitterness or, you know, the, the, that root of just kind of death that just spreads over our lives. I think that's what I see sometimes. And that feels very problematic to me. But when we can look at some of these things and say, okay, Lord, you know, if for those who are believers in Jesus, which I am, to say, Jesus, I want the newness that you bring, and I want to be able to extend forgiveness, and I don't want to repeat these patterns, and I want to not be a selfish person. I want to be someone who is about other people. And so I think we have to be careful when we look at these things, but I think that in light of Christ and in what he can do, I think it's really important for us to be able to see some, to recognize some of those patterns and decide, hey, these are the things that I want to, I don't want to live like this. You know, whether it's a slave to fear or pride or hardness, whatever it might be. I love how you focus, so how you differentiate between focusing on death and kind of moving towards like this obsession with death and dysfunction Mm -hmm. or focusing on hope and health and life and personal ownership. That's what I heard in what you were saying is like, Mm -hmm. What in me is broken and not living as you call. I love that, Kelly. When you discuss the jealousy that Joseph's brothers experience, you really emphasize kind of speaking of life, not focusing on death, focusing on life. You emphasize finding security in Christ. And so I have two questions in regard to that. Why is that so important? So like when we're looking at our, whether it's our, what the brokenness we came from or whether it's just, you know, kind of just it living in our broken world, why is that important? And then what can that look like as we're, we're healing or maybe we're in the middle of conflict? Yeah, well, I think practically speaking, you know, we we do kind of throw that term around, like finding our identity in Christ or finding who we are. And people are like, well, what does that mean? But I think why it's so important when we're walking through these hard times is that, you know, we come into this world and we want our families, we want our friendships, our teachers uh, later on in life, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend, spouse, 
to be a secure, safe place. But we know that in this world, that's just, it's not how it works. You, you might get a couple of those, but you're not going to get all of them across the board all the time, right? We get to a certain point and we see that people have failed us, they have betrayed us, they have left us, or maybe they really love us, but the, what they can give us is just limited and it's just not enough or it's not what we need. And so that's where that identity in Christ and going back to the love of the Lord, that is the love that the Lord has for us is it's all encompassing and it's inexhaustive. You know, the Paul says it's high, it's deep, it's wide, it's beyond anything we can know or imagine. When we get to know him, we understand that he's sovereign, that even, please don't ask me to make sense of this mystery, but even the hard things that we go through, that God is not detached. Wasn't that good? Speaking of breaking generational patterns of dysfunction and leaving a gospel-infused legacy, my friend and leadership coach has an amazing podcast for moms called The Connected Mom. And because I adore her and her wisdom so much, and because she's been such a huge blessing to me in my journey, I'm building a shout-out team of moms who want to become more like Jesus and more consistently parent with his love and grace. Again, contact me through my website to learn more. In this next clip, I speak to one of my favorite musicians, Colton Dixon, about a time when he wondered if his music career was over, and he found himself wrestling with the sense of identity and security. I would love to hear about when you were in that dark place and you were reaching out for God. Yeah, man, I would love to say that it's only happened once, but I think we can all <laughs> say we've been there maybe multiple times. You know, coming off of a show like American Idol, it feels like your feet are never going to touch the ground again. You know, you're on such a, a high, it's just such a big experience and and really thankful for the the journey that God had me on during that season. I feel like I grew up a lot, not just as a, a human, but spiritually as well. Learned to really rely on God. But fast forward several years, things have been going really great. I met my wife. We got married. You know, we're touring the country. And, and then my label calls me into a meeting and says, hey, we love you, but we're not going to continue working together. And that was like the moment for me that shook everything. I didn't know if music was going to be in the future. Yeah, just a, a real wake-up call for me, realizing that I was putting my identity in the safety net of having a label or my identity and what I did for a living versus who I am as a child of God. And man, when you put your identity in the wrong things, at least for me, I found that I'm let down all the time. And we go through these identity crises. <laughs> and uh, anyway, so yeah, that season was was tough. But my wife said something that kind of flipped the script for us. She said, what if God is just setting you up for what's next? What if this isn't a setback? You know, just kind of a new way of looking at things, new perspective. And man, we stood on that. And, you know, God hasn't let me down yet in my life. I'm 31. I don't think he ever will. The Bible says he never will. Yeah, so we just continued to believe God, that he knew what he was doing. So we pushed through, and I felt deep inside that the music chapter wasn't over yet. So again, we started believing, and then a new label came through. And man, these new songs started with songs like Miracles and The Devil's a Liar, and coming out of a season of losing my job and not knowing what the future looked like, I got to directly pour into people in 2020 when we released this project of people who 
were losing their jobs and not knowing what the future was going to look like. And I just think that God's timing is perfect and he knows what he's doing. And even when we can't see it, it's important to trust that he's got a plan. Yeah, that's just one of many. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you know, I I like how in that time you discover. So I believe God is always bringing us to increase freedom. Like, I mean, he's using you yes. to bring others to freedom, but he's, yes. he's doing that with you first. And so you mentioned two things, a false identity and mm-hmm. a false security. So would you say that that yes. experience, even though it was like, I, and I had to be, there's something I think profoundly painful about a God-given call to feel like it's crushed. Like, I think that hits us on a a very deeply, like, really hard to explain. I'm sure you went through that. Like, that had sure. to be soul-crushing yeah. initially. Yeah, yeah. Especially as someone who probably takes or cares too much about that aspect or that side of things. Uh, I just, I love music, and my music is kind of like my journal. And, you know, some people keep a physical journal. I just, I write music, and... And to have someone say no, you know, was really, it felt very personal. Yeah. So, yeah, that was something I had to work through for sure. Yeah. So what kind of doubts, like during that time, did you find yourself battling? And then, and even more so, how did God meet you in those? I mean, I've, I've heard your songs. And I think they're yeah. they're really awesome. I'm assuming <laughs> Thank you. Like, through some of those stories that, that you share in your songs, were those pivotal for you? Like Noah's story, yeah. Eliza's story. Big time. Yeah. Even during that season, it was really just learning not to believe the lies of the enemy. I have a song called The Devil is a Liar, and and it was inspired by a book by John Bevere called The Bait of Satan. Okay. I've read it. Um, yeah. It's so good. It's just about, yeah. you know, like the enemy will roll up and he'll help try and bait you, you know, and it's just our job not to take the bait to know truth from lie and, and to trust that God's plans are to prosper us, not to harm us, to give us hope in a future. And the enemy is the opposite of that. So whatever life throws at you, put it in the right category and things are going to be easier for you. So that was me during that season thinking I'm not good enough. My time has passed, you know, even though at the time I was only 28, 29, there are all these young kids coming into the industry. And I used to be that kid, the youngest in the room. Now, sometimes I'm the oldest in the room, you know, and it's like, wow, maybe, maybe it's just the 15 minutes were up, you know, whatever. This was the the plan so far. Maybe God's got something new. Still trying to think at it positively, but still it having a negative connotation on myself, thinking God's got to use someone else because it's, I'm not good enough. So it's just a lie. We are children of God and he calls us chosen, a royal priesthood. He sees us through the eyes of Jesus and we're heirs to the throne. So I think if we viewed ourselves that way, we would live bolder. I must say, I was really impressed with the depth of Colton's faith and his transparency. I love hearing about how God's children live increasingly led by him, especially those in more public arenas, as I know it's easier for them to drift the other way and become more self-reliant. But man, what impact they have when they deepen their dependency on Christ. This next clip comes from bonus content created by Bonnie Gray, host of Breathe, the Stress Less podcast. Listen as she talks about a common automatic response to stress and how to more effectively manage it. For those moments when you want to stop the stress, what do you find is your go-to response? There are four different ways that we tend to respond to stress. 
And today we're going to talk about how we usually respond to stress, what are the automatic responses, and what's one thing we can do to stop the stress. So among all these different stressors, there are top four responses that women often will say, this is holding me back. And I want to ask you today, what is holding you back from taking better care of yourself? What's holding you back from choosing what gives you rest, more peace, or spark joy? This is an important thing to do is to become aware because we just kind of want to jump over it or go around it because maybe we're concerned that if I think about what I need too much, then there might be some changes that I'd have to make. And that might cause uh, maybe conflict or maybe it would cause disruption. But yet Jesus says, you are worthy of rest. Jesus' invitation for us to rest, he says, come to me, those who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. And not just any kind of rest. He says in that same passage that he wants to give us rest for your soul. Jesus says, you will find rest for your soul and you will learn. He invites us to learn from me. So rest is not something where it's just a light switch, but something that we practice and do. It's important because millions of people struggle with anxiety, depression, and burnout. According to the CDC, a staggering 42% of Americans are grappling with mental health issues. And you're probably seeing this in your social circles and so am I. From the moment we wake up, we are inundated with noise, pressure, and expectations that wear us down. Especially as we move into life post-pandemic, each of us carries residual stress or trauma of some sort, something that we've kind of put away to the side because we needed to be strong. But our emotional and physical limits have been pushing us past our limits, past anything that we've ever had to deal with. And we have been strong. We survived a tornado of confusion, isolation, and loss. And many of us are dealing with grief, while other of us, others of us are just flat out exhausted. So getting back to those four areas of responses that we tend to have as women, you know, we're heroes when it comes to loving and caring for others. But Why is it so hard to give ourselves permission to rest and refresh? Isn't Bonnie Gray fantastic? I would love to have her join me in a discussion here. Pop over to her podcast and listen to a few. Then let me know which topic you would find most helpful for her and I to discuss. Then let me know which topic you would find most helpful for me and her to discuss further on Faith Over Fear. Now, we're going to take a short break to hear from our sponsors. This next clip was taken from the most downloaded episode in 2023 titled God's Not Dumb With You with guest John Meter. This tells me the topic really resonated with you, and I totally get it. In fact, last year was rough, really rough, and I found myself struggling to live in God's power and grace. This segment is for all of us who have ever worried that God was done with us or felt like he should be done with us. 
Don, on page 16, you wrote, I'm going to quote, God can orchestrate an extraordinary comeback from a difficult past. And as I read that, I wondered, do you know that from experience? I do know that from experience. In fact, that's basically the motivation for writing the book, that through the hearing loss that you mentioned a few moments ago, at the age of six, my my hearing went completely away. I have a 95% hearing loss. So my world went silent at that time. And um, it was irreversible. So over the years, I realized that I was behind the curve on so many things. And um, as a young believer, knowing that God could change all that, but didn't for some reason struggle with all the picture of that. Uh, How could a good God, a fair God, let this happen to me? And in my juvenile thinking, I was thinking instead of somebody else, you know, I was thinking somebody else should be the recipient of my problem. (laughs) So over the years, I just struggled with anger with God. And at some point, God just really got a hold of my heart, very specific moments where he grabbed hold of me and said, I've got a future for you that you don't realize. And if you'll trust me with it, I'll bring you back from all the hardship that you are so concerned about and wallowing in, and I will help you to a new future. And so that's my story. And as I read the stories, these Old Testament biblical characters, names we all know, Moses and Joseph and Hezekiah, all kinds of names that are familiar. I learned that each one of them has some kind of comeback story in their life that God helped them come back from. You know, I think too, that's really the picture of grace, right? And reveals the power of the gospel. It's almost like God's like, I'm going to do this because I want to show who I really am. That's right. That's right. God is always wanting to demonstrate his character. And that's one thing we just don't factor into most situations. And that's to our detriment. Because if God is able, if God is strong, if he's good, if he's supernatural, then the situation is not over until God acts. And so we have to wait for him to act and speak. And I heard you said you wrestled with anger over. Now, how old were you when you lost your hearing? Well, I lost my hearing at six, but I was wrestling with this anger through my teenage years and my early college years. Yeah. So that must have been really traumatic, actually, to all of a sudden lose your hearing and and at that young of age, not not understanding. That's right. And I think those first few years were not so difficult because I was more of a rural environment. Uh, Most of the kids that I was around knew me from uh, early on. But when we moved to another community, I was kind of the odd man out. I had I wore hearing aids by then. I couldn't, uh, I didn't know sign language because we were in a rural area, didn't learn that. So I was in a public education setting and kids can be really cruel when someone is different and I was definitely different. So through that, that time, the social interactions were extremely hard for me and school was hard for me. Grades were difficult for me because I was a, a lip reader and I continued to be a lip reader. I hear certain sounds, but I associate those also with context and reading lips. And so you can imagine school being a little bit more difficult then. But I was angry because of people's responses to me and because of how hard I had to work to get the same grade somebody else did. It felt very unfair. And because of that, I was angry at God. So that anger manifested itself in so many different ways um, to so many different people who did not deserve my anger. (laughs) And so it was unresolved and it was constant. Jennifer, I ended up being a pretty sizable guy. I'm 6'5 and I weigh about 240 pounds. And so it became kind of a threatening thing when I was angry and hurt people hurt walls, hurt uh, doors, hurt my fist, and so forth. So I was uh, I was acting out that anger. That was my struggle during those early years until I really came to the place of accepting the fact that God could do something about this, but had not yet. And so therefore, what did he have planned? And could I trust him with that? Big moment. Uh, and that moment of trust happened to me when I was about 19. It changed my world. Absolutely. Wow. So I'm back to Moses. When you started the book, you start with him. Did you feel kind of a, a special connection with him because of that? You know, his, his story begins in many ways. Well, when as as an adult where he allows his anger and maybe even a sense of justice to 
to get the best of him and he lands in kind of a mess. I mean, did you feel like as you were reading Moses's story, are there aspects that you really that really resonate with you? I, I do. And I believe that like most of us, when we are personally acquainted with something, some aspect of our lives, anger or something else, when you read another story of someone else's life, you begin to pick up those elements. Well, I had read Moses' life many times and never picked up on the anger. I mean, I knew he did that to the Egyptian taskmaster, but that's just a blip on the radar screen until you really get sensitive to the fact that he had anger in many areas of his life, and it happened over and over, over the space of at least 100 years. (laughs) So that began to bring it to the surface, and I began to identify with, okay, here's a great leader that God brought back from a devastating act of violence. He had reason in his mind to be upset at God. It was an unfair situation that he and his people were enduring in Egypt, and he had to learn to come to grips with that. And and I saw myself in the life of Moses, not because of his high points, but because of his low points. And yet God took him from a very low point. And what we mostly know about Moses is that he led the exodus of the people of Israel out of Egypt, and he led them to the promised land. And so we know the big deal. We know the big points of his life, and we forget the valleys. But the valleys are where God helps us get to the big points. And now for our final clip, taken from a discussion with one of my favorite authors, Max Lucado. Every time I record with him, I am inspired by his humility and his determination to live led and empowered by the Holy Spirit. In this episode, he focuses on a Bible character that he refers to as a weasel, but also a Bible character in whom he says he sees himself. You focus on Jacob, a man named Jacob. So for those who maybe aren't familiar with biblical history, can you give us a little, who was he? Well, and he is such a fascinating, colorful character. So Jacob is an Old Testament character. He's best, most people remember Abraham. And Abraham had a son named Isaac. And Isaac had two sons, one by the name of Esau and the other by the name of Jacob. They were twins. Esau was born first and Jacob was born second, which is a big part of the story because in the ancient world, there were certain blessings that came with being the firstborn and Jacob wanted those blessings. He was born holding his brother's heel, which is a triumph of irony because that's really the way he led his life. He was trying to pull people back so he could move forward. The The beauty of Jacob's story Jennifer, and the reason that I've, I don't know, just been attracted to it so many times through the years and finally decided it would be worth, uh, you know, preaching about. The beauty of the story is that he really wasn't that great of a guy. He, he was kind of a louse. He worked the system. He lied to his father. He swindled his brother. He, it caught up with him. He ended up marrying somebody when he thought he was marrying someone else. Maybe we'll talk about that. He negotiated with God. He he went dark in one season, and his sons went Rambo on a village. And so it was just a, he's a kind of the character. It, it, okay, let me say it like this. Some of the characters in the Bible are Mount Rushmore level. I mean, they have such faith. We want to make a, put their face on a mountain. Jacob is kind of a weasel. He, 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 uh, he, he's me. He's that guy I see when I look in the mirror. He's the guy I go bowling with or play golf with. I mean, he he wants to do right, but do right, well, not always, sometimes seldom. 
And so that's why his story is so beautiful, because God used Jacob in spite of Jacob. And that's why I wanted to, you know, entitle the book, God Never Gives Up on You. I love how you said, too, that it that you see yourself in Jacob. And I think that's really encouraging for the people who feel like, okay, I'm, they probably haven't, haven't maybe done what Jacob has. Right. And so that, that is encouraging in your, in your discussion of his journey, you said that he, he didn't show any initiative. He didn't show any resolve. He didn't show any conviction of his sin or remorse. And so why that's so important for us to recognize. (laughs) And in that true, I hope people will be enticed to read his story because he's not the only foul up in the Bible. They're all over the place. They're all over the place. David, you know, seduced Bathsheba. Peter denied Christ the night before the crucifixion. Saul was a church persecutor before he was a church builder. Paul, Saul, who became Paul. But here's the deal about David and Peter and Saul and Paul. They repented. You know, they they felt bad. Uh, David was so overcome with remorse. He wrote the beautiful 51st Psalm. Peter wept when he, you know, denied Christ. Saul became a Christian. He became a great evangelist. So show me the prayer of Jacob where he said, I'm sorry, Lord, for cheating my family. Or or show me the acts of contrition on his part. There are a few times that he he offers beautiful prayers. There are a few times he he begs for mercy. But boy, it doesn't seem very often. And, And I think that matters. Because the gospel message, Jennifer, is not so much our achievement, but God's achievement. That when God makes a covenant, he will keep it. When God makes a promise, he will honor it. God made a promise to Abraham, then to Isaac, and then to Jacob, that he would bless them and he would use them. We see how he did it with Abraham. We see how he did it with Isaac. And then we see how he does it even with Jacob, in spite of Jacob. So my takeaway from that is, if God will do that with Jacob, he will do it with me. Two thousand and twenty three was a fabulous year. I have been encouraged and inspired by the guests I've connected with here on Faith Over Fear, and I'm looking forward to more great conversations in the year ahead. If you have a topic you would find particularly helpful, please reach out to me. I would love to hear from you. And as always, you can connect with me online. Just visit the show notes to learn how. Well, thank you for listening. If you haven't already done so, I encourage you to subscribe to this podcast. Then you won't miss a single episode. Share it with your friends. And until next time, may you live as one who truly has been set free. God's word will change our life, but sometimes it's hard to know where to start. Well, that's where I come in. I'm Jody Nisnik, host of So Much More, Creating Space for God a scripture meditation podcast. And each week I guide you through a scripture, giving you space to listen to the spirit and pray about what's on your heart. Then we have a thoughtful conversation with guests to help us go deeper. Listen and subscribe at lifeaudio.com.